turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58, because that's where I'm going to be today. I tricked you, huh? You all thought we were going to be in Galatians. Well, we'll get back to Galatians soon, but um, I did want to make a few comments on on, uh, Isaiah chapter 58, and one of the reasons is because we live in an upside-down world. We live in a world that tells us that if you want to be full, you must consume, and that if you want to be rich, you must seek a return and save and hoard, and that if you want to be free, you must cast off all restraint. And that is an upside-down view, because the Christian worldview tells us that if you want to be full, you must pour out, that if you want to be rich, you must give, that if you want to live, you must die, and that if you want to be free, you must enslave your, become a slave to Christ. I wanted to spend a few moments today dealing with the issue of fasting. For some of you, this may be a repeat, and for some of you, it may be something new or um, something you might never have heard of or not really dealt with for the most part. And so the purpose of today's message is I want to introduce some concepts of fasting. And fasting is actually a a topic that is dealt with quite a bit in Scripture. It's interesting to note that there's only one command to fast, um, that we're only commanded to fast, that the Jews were commanded to fast on the Day of Atonement. That was it. One day a year. However, there were numerous fasts that were called in the Bible, and we see fasting throughout both Old and New Testament. And so some of the reasons why people fasted in the Bible was in the New Testament, we see people fasting because they long to see Christ. We see Anna and Simeon prior to the birth of Christ fasting and praying that they would see the Messiah. They had a desire to see the Messiah and that they would fast and pray until they saw him for themselves. We also see in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 15, where the disciples of of John um, say, how come the disciples, or the disciples ask, how come the disciples of John fast, but your disciples, the disciples of Christ, don't fast? And he says, well, the bridegroom's with you, nobody fasts. Basically, while the bridegroom's present, we don't fast during the celebration, but once the bridegroom goes away, then the disciples will fast. Well, the bridegroom has gone away, and the people of the bridegroom fast, longing for his return. And so people fast in a desire to see their Lord. People would fast when they would begin a new task. For instance, Jesus himself fasted before he began his ministry. And we see this in Matthew chapter 4. But we also see in Acts chapter 13 that prior to the launching of their great missionary journey, the, the people, the um, Christians fasted to, before they sent out the uh, apostles to begin their missionary journey. Which, by the way, very interestingly enough, This was the missionary journey that literally turned the world upside down. It changed the course of history. Understand that the course of history was changed as a result, or certainly by by God, but it was the, the fruit of prayer and fasting. People say, I'd like to see the world turned upside down. Really? Well, we saw it happen once. It can happen again, but it came about through prayer and through fasting. We see people fasting in the time of crisis, and of course this is most evident in the book of Esther, where there was this decree that went out that all the people of God were going to be slaughtered, and Esther basically said, and, and, and Mordecai, basically fast for four days. We will eat nothing, and then I will approach the king and see what we can do, and if I die, I die. This is a crisis moment. But prior to that crisis moment, we will spend time in prayer and in fasting. We see people fasting for their sin, grieved for their sin. We see this in the book of Joel. We see people fasting during times of sorrow and loss. I've titled this Fasting for Joy because it is perhaps a wrong understanding of fasting 
in that we think that fasting is a time of misery and being dour and in a bad mood. But Jesus doesn't seem to think so. In fact, he says when you fast, don't put on uh, sackcloth. Don't let everybody put on. Do yourself up nice. Wash your face. Go about with a smile on your face and don't let everybody know. Fasting also, as we're going to see, brings about a joy that I think is absent when we do not participate in this very important discipline. So I want to clarify a little bit of what I'm talking about when I'm talking when we talk about fasting. First of all, let's talk about what it is. Fasting is very simple. It is abstaining from food for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. And we are going to, uh, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you some instructions about fasting. Now, some of you I know may have dietary issues and you cannot uh, abstain from food. And if that's the case, I'll talk about to you about some alternatives. But if that is not the case, I would challenge you to abstain from food. And the reason why I want you to abstain from food, if it is at all possible, is because the desire to eat is such a strong desire in the human person that it is one of the most difficult things you can do. To go without food is unbelievably difficult. And that's part of the point. So it is abstaining from food for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. Fasting is a, a discipline of self-denial. And this is countercultural. This is upside down. Because we are told in our, cultural, in our culture and in the world that you should never deny yourself anything. You should engage in whatever brings you joy or pleasure or so-called satisfaction. And fasting aligns itself with the worldview of Scripture, which says that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after Christ. You see, fasting helps us to identify what controls us. You'd be amazed how often we are controlled by our appetites and literally how often we are controlled by the things we eat. We gauge our days around the things we eat. And so we are controlled by this and fasting helps us to relinquish these things that control us so that we will not be ruled by anything. We will not be mastered by anything. It is certainly an antidote to a culture that calls us to fulfill every human desire and every human appetite. Fasting is hard. I think it's supposed to be. But some of the things that I've noticed when I fast, and I probably don't do it as often as I should, but a couple of things that I've noticed that when I fast that helps me in my day-to-day walk, is that when things get hard and the hunger pains grow intense and I say, no, I will not be ruled by them, then in my regular everyday life after the fast is over, when temptations come and the appetite and the desire grow strong to deny my Lord by sinning, I can say, I can go back to that and say, you know what? I know what the urge is like. I I felt that strong passion and I've been victorious over that strong passion and I can be victorious now. It's amazing the correlation that we can find. The other thing is that sometimes when when you, you feel a hunger pain, it's good to remind yourself, you know, you go, well, it's kind of uncomfortable. Well, when it gets uncomfortable, think about your Lord and Savior on a cross for your sins. Every time that that little hunger pain comes up, it should remind you that your Lord died for you. And it should cause you, and it may cause you, it reminds me that I have been bought with a price. I think it's good to remind ourselves every time that hunger pain comes up, my Lord died for me. My Lord hung on a cross so that I could live with him. And so fasting helps accomplish those purposes. Fasting, however, is not manipulation. We do not manipulate God. Um, Do not think for a moment that, you know, if I, and we're going to all unpack this a little bit more in Isaiah, but don't think for a moment that it's a manipulation and it is not a dietary, or it's not a diet. Um, If you fast for a long time, you'll probably lose some weight, but its purpose is not for you to uh, lose weight. 
Well, I want to look at the book of Isaiah chapter 58. And here's what I'm going to look at. Here's where we're going to go. We're, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the problem that the people were dealing with. We are going to look at the prescription that God provides for the problem. And then we're going to look at the promise. You notice that little alliteration there? You don't get much alliteration from me. And you don't get many topical sermons from me. So today is a topical sermon that is alliterated nicely. So, well, maybe not nicely, but it is alliterated. So we, we have, what do we have? We have problem prescription and promise. We even had purpose. Look at that. Didn't even plan that. So you can put this in your journal or notebook that John did a topical sermon and it was alliterated. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read the first 12 verses of the book of Isaiah or chapter 58 of Isaiah. And then we will look at this text a little more closely. Isaiah writes in chapter 58, verse 1, Cry loudly, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways. As a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, they ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desires and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose? A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for the bowing of one's head like a reed and for the spreading out of sackcloth on ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, and to bring the homeless poor into the house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break forth like dawn, and your recovery will speedily bring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like the midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins and you will raise up the age old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. And so this is the word of the God and we will consider what God has to say in regards to fasting. Well, here's the problem. The problem is a delusional spirituality. I, I put up here an empty religion, but empty religion is really delusional. You see... In the time that Isaiah is writing this, there was political and economic uncertainty. And because of that, the people were led to basically self, be self-serving. In other words, I'm not certain what tomorrow brings, and so I'm going to make sure I got mine and everything of mine is taken care of. And if I have to trample on you to make sure I got what I need, then so be it. Because let's face it, I got to take care of myself. This was the times in which Isaiah is writing. And let's face it, these were very spiritual people. Look at what they say. They seek me day by day. They, they have not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They are asking God for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. This is a spiritual group of people. They are engaged in temple worship. They are seeking God. They are delighting to know God. They are asking God for just decisions. They delight in his nearness. We might think, well, this is a pretty good church to belong to. Much like the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation, all of these great things. And God says, but I have this against you. But these people were engaged in delusional, empty 
worship. And the command is for Isaiah to cry out. Cry aloud, Isaiah, and tell these people, be bold, be vocal, do not hold back, and tell them that things are not right. How can things not be right if you're a church like this? Well, here's the problem. All of their religious activity left their lives completely and utterly unchanged. That's the problem. They continued to seek their own pleasure. They continued to oppress their workers. They continued to quarrel and fight among themselves. And yeah, you get together on, in those days, you got together on Saturday and worship, but it left your Sunday completely unchanged. And for us, it would be you gather together on Sunday and you sing the songs and you go through the motions and you shake the hands and you're nice and you say the prayers and you listen to the sermon and you add an amen and on Monday you're no different. That's where we're at. That's where Isaiah is at. Isaiah is a very contemporary message for us today. It was fasting that left their sin completely untouched. They worshipped on Sunday, and our worship on Sunday must affect our Monday. These people were worshipping on Sunday and gossiping on Monday. This is the problem. And so as we fast, the first thing we need to do is fasting must affect the sin in our lives. I think the first thing fasting must do is draw us nearer to the Lord, just as we saw with Anna and Simeon and just as we saw with Jesus telling his disciples that they fasted to prepare themselves for the appearing of the Lord. What they desired was to see their Lord. I I think that fasting should hopefully, first of all, draw us to see our Lord and our God and his bring about a desire and a hunger and a thirst to see our God. But after that, fasting should confront our sin. It must attack the sin in our own lives. You see, it's easy to look around our world today and it's easy to look at our culture and see all of the problems. And we can say, well, look at ISIS, look what they're doing. And and they're beheading Christians and, and we should be concerned about that. And we can say, look at the corruption that's going on in high places, and that's, that's terrible. And look at uh, uh, the shooting sprees that, that, that go along, and, and look at how we, we tear innocent babies apart for profit. Look at that. We need to look at those things. But I think fasting is also about making sure that we get the log out of our own eye before we begin to consider the log that is in the eyes of our culture. I am not saying that we ignore one at the expense of the other. I'm just saying that God has called us to make sure that our life is right. And to to fast with an expectation of blessing without addressing sin's darkness is vanity. The fast that God chooses is not simply for you to go hungry, but it is to fill the mouth of the hungry. And so God says, is this really the fast that I chose? Is this the fast that I chose? That you go hungry and you go without bread and yet you oppress your neighbor and you, uh, and you take advantage of your laborer? Is that the fast that I've chosen? And so then God begins to give Isaiah the prescription for their fasting. First of all, let me say that fasting is not a manipulation of God. God is sovereign, and he is manipulated by nobody. You do not control him. You do not have authority over him. You cannot con him or trick him or get him to do something you want to do on the sly. God is sovereign, and God will do as God desires to do. So do not think for a moment that if I fast, God will somehow has to listen to me because I have suffered so much for him. Kind of maybe uh, equivalent to the kid who holds his breath until he gets what he wants. You know, I'm going to just hold my breath and then I'm going to make my mom, my dad give me what I want. God is not manipulated by that. And you can say, well, I fasted and I've gone hungry. And Jesus will simply say, yeah, I fasted 40 days. So when you get to day 41, let's talk. So we do not manipulate a sovereign God. In fact, that is idolatry. Idolatry was simply trying to manipulate the gods to do their bidding. 
Here is the fast that God has chosen. And I kind of broke, I kind of condensed or collected a variety of uh, uh, different things and put them into broad categories. And the first broad category that we see is the fast that God chooses is for freedom. And we see this um, in that, He says, is this not the fast that I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? And we and and in verse nine, if you remove the rope, the the yoke from your midst. And so I kind of put all those together, this idea of yoke and being burdened and being chained and put that under the category of the fast that God chooses is for freedom to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to free the oppressed, to break every yoke, and to remove the yoke. We are to be people who free others and not burden them. We are to loose the bonds of wickedness, and this may be both societal and it might be personal. It might be personal fasting is, may be effective in breaking that personal yoke or bondage that you have, that addiction, that... Um, that besetting sin, that thing that keeps you from totally serving God the way in your heart you want to, and there's just this barrier. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a lie that you've been fed. But there is something that is keeping you from serving the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And we fast so that the yokes will be broken. It might also be societal. Folks, look around. There's plenty of of bondage. If, if you think for a moment that slavery has ended, you are sorely misled. The slave trade is alive and well, probably better than ever. Right now, people in our society, people... in our towns and in our cities are being trafficked for the profit of some. This is horrific. Streetlight Ministry down in Phoenix basically works hard to get people, young kids off the street who are being sold into slavery. I remember when I was, uh, we were sharing the gospel in Venice Beach and you go to Venice Beach and you think it's great. It's one of the darkest places I've ever been in my whole life. And we were talking. In fact, while we were sharing the gospel there, there was a coven of witches on the beach um, doing whatever it is they do. The people, would, people would tell us, how can I call God my father? You see, when I was a child, Every day a limousine pulled up and took me and my brother and my sister. Five years old, and they took us to a film studio where all manner of horrific acts were performed against us. It's alive and well. That's in this country. People are still being bought and sold. Folks, We need to be on our face and crying out for a God of justice to move on behalf of these people. And we will call you in a moment also to do more than to cry out on your face. And so if you are in bondage to some something, fasting is one of the prescriptions that God has called us to, to loose those bonds. Fasting is not only for loosing the bonds and making and enabling people to be free, but it is also to provide for food and housing and clothing. In verse 7, we see that we this is the fast that I choose to feed the hungry. Fasting isn't to make you hungry, but it is to make the, the poor less hungry. And I'll talk about in a little bit how we do that. It is to bring the poor into your house and it is to clothe the naked. This is the fast that God has chosen. It is to take care of those who have nothing. And in a few moments, we will call you to do something. The fasting is not only about breaking the the bonds 
of slavery. It is not only about taking care of the physical needs of those who are without, but it is also about being sympathetic towards others. Isaiah says, and do not hide yourself from your own flesh. You know, it's easy to become callous to the, to the uh, suffering that is around us. It's pretty common. But I would ask that while we are fasting this month, that we would cry out, Lord, break my heart. Break my heart. Let me so that I cannot see, I cannot not see the suffering that is going on around me. I remember years ago, I hadn't been a Christian for very long, so it was a long time ago. And uh, one of the prayers the Lord answered for me, it probably was for about a week that this prayer was in effect. And I said, Lord, let me see what you see. Let me see things the way you see them. God in his mercy only allowed it to last about a week. Everywhere I went, I was broken. Everywhere I went, I don't weep much. But that was a really hard week. Because I saw people just walking down the street, a business person or a a mom. And you see them in their lostness. And you see them in their brokenness. And we wish you pray that, Lord, break our hearts. Put me in their place, Lord. The Bible also calls us in the book of Hebrews to remember those who are persecuted for the cause of Christ. In, others, in other words, put yourself in their place. Remember those who are in prison for the cause of Christ. Put yourself in their place. Don't turn your back on them. Don't turn your eyes away from them. Don't shield yourself from the misery and the hurt and the horror of what they're going through. Bible calls us to destroy contempt. In other words, he says, remove the pointing finger in verse 9. The idea here is do not speak or gesture in a way that shows contempt for others. And so I'm going to call the church on Randall Place to speak well of those whom God has, has placed in service in this church. We have a lot of really good, faithful people here who serve diligently. And if you look at the back of your bulletin, you will see a number of people who serve diligently. There are more. But you should at least consider them. And it's really easy to say, to be in a church and to say, well, you know, leadership doesn't do this and leadership doesn't do that. And I don't like this and I don't like that. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Put that to the side and pray God's blessing and be thankful for all the servants of God, so many times people will say, well, I think it should be done this way. And when you ask them to be involved, well, do you want to fix this? Well, not really. I just want to complain, basically. So I am saying that it is time for us as a church not to be complainers and gripers about those who are serving. Yeah, they probably don't. I'll just tell you right off the bat, and I'll speak for the elders of the church as well. Me and Nelson and Jaime, we do not do everything right. And we mess up from time to time and we will make a bad decision here and there. But I believe it's godly leadership. I didn't say it was perfect leadership. I said it's godly. And so we would ask for your prayers and not... And if you have a good suggestion, we're all open to, you know what, have you thought about doing such and such? That's a good idea. I hadn't thought about that. That's great. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the ministry leaders. You have Judy taking care of children. Pray for others. You have no idea how much work Suzanne has done to make this music ministry what it is. She's been here, I don't know, 14 years. And I'm going to tell on Suzanne. Sorry, I wasn't planning this. Years ago, years ago, There was a challenge. 
And Suzanne looked at me and she says, if I can't do music, can I clean your bathrooms? It's the kind of people we need in this church. People who will say, stop griping. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are legitimate to complain about. And sometimes there's a place for complaint. But there's a time to stop pointing the finger and fasting so that we don't gripe and complain and show contempt for others who are doing their best to serve the Lord. Just doing their best. Instead, pray for them. Instead, come up and say, hey, thank you for that ministry. I appreciate it. Send them a card. So how do we speak? How do we speak in such a way? And how do our gestures, how are our gestures somehow edifying to the people of God? And that extends beyond the boundaries and the walls of this church. Finally, we see that fasting is an issue of self-sacrifice. See, We are not only to give our resources, but we are to give ourselves. That is, to the soul of the afflicted, Isaiah says. In a little bit, I'm going to ask you to give some resources. I'll show you how. But I'm I'm also going to ask you to give yourself for the soul of the afflicted. So there's the prescription. So we've seen the problem, and the problem is empty, is, is delusional worship, thinking that somehow we can come into the house of God and sing the songs and do the things and then completely leave our lives untouched. That's delusional. And so the prescription is this, and the, the prescription then is you fast for freedom and you fast for for feeding and you fast for self-sacrifice and you fast so that you're not pointing the finger unjustly at another and you fast so that you might see things right and you might get the log out of your own eye here's the promise so what is the effect then of following this prescription here's the problem we've seen the prescription what is the promise and this is what i would desire here at the church on randall place The first promise is that darkness becomes light and your light will break like the dawn. Do you need direction for your next step? Do you wonder where you're going to go? Do you often contemplate, what am I supposed to do? We're getting ready here at the church on Randall Place in November. We will have our yearly annual big business meeting, we will adopt our budget and we will, but, but what are we going to do? Who are we going to be as a church? You ever wonder, man, I just, I don't know what direction I'm supposed to take. I pray that light shines upon our direction and that we see clearly God is light and your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the promise is that if we pour out ourselves, God says, that your darkness will become light and your light will be there instead of gloom. There will be strength and healing in verse 8. And this is paradoxical, isn't it? Because normally we think that if you want to be strong and healthy and full of vigor, then you need to eat nutritiously. And this is that countercultural upside down, actually right side up type of thing that actually if you deny yourself of these things, that will bring strength and healing. Abstaining from nutrition will bring strength. Because the Bible tells us that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I believe that. Actually, the pouring out of our lives is how we get filled up. So I wonder how much weakness there is in our lives that can be attributed to our not pouring ourselves out for others. I know a lot of you pour yourselves out to your own detriment. But I wonder how much weakness is in our lives because we are so busy consuming and taking everything in for our own personal advantage when God has called us to pour ourselves out. The next promise that results from the prescription 
is that we will be surrounded by God in verses 8 and 9. Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily bring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord and he will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. What a great blessing that is. This is a complete reversal of what we see of God's absence in verse 3a the first part of three, that God will go before you. He will be your rear guard. He will be in your midst and he will say, here I am. Oh, how often do we long and need for God to say, here I am. When you are in darkness and going through the valley of the shadow of death, God says, here I am. And you're wondering, you're in the face of tragedy. You're in the midst of trial and you're in the midst of some unexplainable event that just drags you down and you wonder where is God in all of this and to know here I am. Oh, there you are. I'm glad you're here. I really needed you. And he says, and I'll go before you and I'll be your rear guard. I'm going to go before you and I'm going to open up the path. Jesus has already gone before us. We're reading in Hebrews how Christ has already gone before us. He has paved the way he is a pioneer. He's paved the way for our salvation. And when he paved the way for our salvation, it, the Bible literally speaks of him as a pioneer, one who clears the path, who blazes the trail. But one does not blaze a trail for themselves only. One blazes a trail so that other people can follow. And God has gone before us and he has blazed the trail for salvation. He's blazed the trail in many areas. But not only that, but he will be our rear guard. So he will protect us. And this just so reminds me of when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and they are traveling in the, in the wilderness and Amalek, their mortal enemy, came and attacked them. And how did Amalek attack them? He came up upon them from behind. He attacked their rear guard. He attacked those who were straggling. And he attacked the weak and the young. And God says, that doesn't happen. I'll be your rear guard. And when Amalek, the destroyer of the people of God, who seeks to destroy the people of God, comes up behind you, here I am. This is the promise. God also promises to guide us in verse 11. Not only will God say, here I am, but I'll take you through. So we, one of the things I would ask is that you pray for, our gui- for guidance for our church as we, um, as we go forth, as we seek to be a light in this dark world, as we seek to be a place where God is present and where there is and that we follow God faithfully. There are a million different strategies out there and there are a million different companies vying for us to buy their material to tell us how we can be the next great church. By the way, I think we're already a great church. I don't think we need to become a great church. Usually people mean a big church. That doesn't mean we can't, don't need God's guidance or we can't improve. God will not only be present with us, he will guide us. And I wonder how much uncertainty we face because we refuse, because we walk our path without God's guidance. And God says, I'll take you where you need to go. That's my promise. Next thing we see in verse 11 is that God will satisfy us. He will satisfy your desire in scorched places. That's great. So in that desolate place, there God will satisfy. You see, again, we're talking upside down, actually right side up, because our culture tells us that in order to be satisfied, you need all of this other stuff. You need all of these things. Scripture is clear and I think it was Augustine who said it best that we are only satisfied when we find our satisfaction in the Lord. That's the only time we'll be satisfied is that when we are satisfied in Him. See, but the world in which we live will deny that. They say you'll be satisfied when you get this new thing and when you get a faster internet connection and when you get a new phone and when you get all of this stuff. And they even say you'll be satisfied when you get a new bike. 
They're getting really close there. Really close. But here's the only problem with that, is pretty soon that, that new bike becomes an old bike. And somebody comes out with something new, and all of a sudden you need the new thing. So you're not satisfied anymore, are you? You have to constantly feed that thing. Feed me, feed me, feed me. But in Christ we rest. Why? Because Christ has done it all. And so we seek first his kingdom. I promise you, God says, you'll be satisfied in me. He says that we will be a well-watered garden. This reminds me that that we are springs that don't fail. It just reminds me where Jesus in John chapter 7 says that um, the one who follows me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. I love that image because it's an image that tells, that speaks to me. It's just like it's overflowing out of you, which is really cool because then it gets everything around it damp and wet. So out of you comes rivers of flowing and living water and everybody who comes in contact, comes near you, gets blessed by that water. It's not contained. It seems to be splashing out. I want to be that kind of person. can't say I'm there. I want to be that kind of church that is a fountain of living water. And if you come near us, man, you're just going to experience the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah, one of our, probably our very earliest theme verse in this church was this passage in Jeremiah that says that um, we will be like well-watered trees whose roots go down deep. And the thing it says is that even in the time of drought, you will still flourish. I love that. And even in drought, you will bear fruit. What a great image that is. This is one of the promises that even in the scorch place, even when there, where there is no fruit or there shouldn't be fruit, even when it should be just utterly barren and yet we are bearing fruit. Finally, he says that you will restore the ruins. Certainly that speaks to me of a, something of an everlasting city that is yet to come. But I also have this idea that we will be restorers. People who restore stuff. We're not hypocrites. But we are the ones who are actually putting things back right. And so we've seen the problem, and the problem is false worship. I'm sure from time to time we're guilty of it, as much as I would hate to admit that, and I'm certainly not pointing any fingers at any individual in particular, but I would have to say that certainly from time to time that problem has afflicted the church on Randall Place, and I would pray that we would seek that it not affect us, that we get that log out of our own eye. Second thing then is that we have a prescription, and the prescription is to follow the fast that God has chosen And finally, that we believe the promise that God has given us. And so here's how we're going to do it. Every October, we've set aside the month for fasting, and we would ask that you would fast at least four days. You can fast more. um, Even if you're really challenged and you want to fast less, I guess that's fine. That's between you and God. Nobody's going to come around checking and weighing you, you know, and, you know, inventorying your refrigerator or anything like that. That's between you and God. That's it. Um, but we would ask you to do this. If, if you are, uh, have fasted before, then great. If you have never fasted, um, I would probably say take it easy. Ease your way into it. But here's what we would say. We would ask that you would uh, fast for four days. Now, the way we've kind of done that is we've divided up our four days into, 12 meal, or into three meals a day. All right. Now, if you're saying, well, I eat five meals a day, fine, just whatever. All right. (laughs) Figure it out. But we've broken that into 12 meals. And so if you want, you can fast for 12 meals. Like so you can fast 12 days, one meal a day. Great. Perfect. You might want to go the full four days. So for some of you who are experienced with fasting, you may want to go the full four days. Good job. All right. It's tough. You might want to do one day at a time and just do one day a week and just say, I'm going to fast one day a week. People often ask me, 
what I do and without trying to be the, the, the hypocrite of Matthew, basically I try to do all day Saturday and then Sunday morning and then break my fast after uh, Sunday worship. The reason that I do it that way is because it allows me to prepare my heart and my mind and my soul to worship God on Sunday and just to prepare a message. And so if you want to know, I'm offering that as an alternative, not to somehow draw attention, but people ask, what do you do? This is what I do. Um, And so then, uh, so four meals or four days, you got it? Makes sense? Some of you may say, well, what if I can't fast food because I have a dietary issue, maybe diabetes or something like that? Well, if you cannot fast food, then you you want to find um, something that you can fast from. And it would be need to be something that is very important to your life. Um, so, for instance, many people will take a digital fast. Um, that's right. Put the phone down. Turn it off. Not just put it down. Turn it off and don't even look at it for a whole day. I know that's just horror to some people. That's right. Turn your phone off. Put it in a drawer and don't look at it for a whole day. And don't look at your Facebook page. And don't turn on your computer. And you're thinking, well, uh, doesn't the world end? No, it does not end. But you might try something like that. Perhaps television, um, some sort of media fast seems to be, in in a media-addicted culture, that seems to be a great alternative for those, and again, only for those who cannot fast food. And then just think about it. I don't know how you figure out days or whatever, but maybe do four days without your phone, without your media, without... But think about that. You can be creative. Again, we're not going to come checking up on you and what have you. Um, But those are some some ideas that are are good. Some people have said, you know what, I just get so wrapped up in the news and certain websites, and I'm just going to block those out. Great, do that. But fasting isn't just about going hungry, as we've just read. If all we do is go hungry, that's all we've done is gone hungry. And our goal is not to go hungry. Our goal is to fill the prescriptions that God has called us to fill. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And that is, at the end of the month, after your four days or however many you do, calculate how much your meals would have cost you. So let me just, because I'm not that bright, I'm not a great math, I need to get Yvonne to help me here, but... Let's, well, I know, I can do three. Three's good. Just say, well, say your meals are $5 a piece, $15 a day. All right, so what is that, 60 bucks for the month? Thank you, I got her approval. <laughs> so then, that's what it is, 60 bucks. Whether it's, you might say, well, it was actually $3 a meal, fine, whatever. Just calculate about how much your food would have cost you because then at the end of the month, what I want you to do is I want you to feed the hungry and I want you to shelter and clothe the poor, and I want you to set the captives free, and I know your, your 60 bucks isn't going to do it, but I want you to take that money and use it for some purpose. You can send it to Voice of the Martyrs who are setting the captives free. Streetlight Ministry that I brought up, or there are dozens of others that do the same thing. We're getting ready to do our shoebox ministry in November. You might want to put your money towards that. In December, we'll do our Lottie Moon, which supports missionaries on the... on. Uh, foreign missions, and so you might want to put it towards that. Gideon's is a great uh, organization, but do something with that, some sort of Christian. And so look at what has God called us to do. He's called us to set the captives free. He's called us to feed the hungry. He's told us to clothe the, the naked. Those are the things he's told us to do. So pray. And while you're fasting... Maybe God will show you where you are to contribute your, your funds. And so we would ask that you would do that. But that's not all. Again, fasting isn't just about going hungry, and it's not just about feeding the hungry. It is also a time for your own personal renewal and restoration, and uh, that God would guide you. And so here's the next thing I'm going to ask you to do. Remember, I said it's not just about giving. It's about giving of yourself. And so... During those times where you would have normally eaten or 
checked your social media status or something like that. Figure out about how much time it would take you to prepare the food and eat the food. And then I want you to devote that time to some sort of spiritual discipline. Certainly prayer should be involved because prayer and fasting just go together. All right. Just read the Bible. Prayer and fasting always go together. So you should probably spend. So let's just say, well, I spend 30 minutes at lunch preparing and eating my lunch. Fine. So that for that 30 minutes, what I want you to do is I want you to spend that time not only forsaking the meal, but using the time of preparation and eating for uh, praying. You might um, you can take a hymnal home if you want and you can sing hymns during that time or you can. You can volunteer and help somebody. Actually pour out your life to somebody. You know, go and, and, and help somebody who's in need. Maybe it's your neighbor. Go shopping for them or what have you. Go and actually put feet and hands to your fasting. And so we should be spending time um, not just going hungry, but actually replacing that with some sort of spiritual discipline. So those are the basic components. You might want to keep a journal. Some people like to do that. I'm really bad at it, but it's there. And um, um, But if you like to do that thing, might, you might want, to, might want to do that. So we've also provided this little uh, book Simone mentioned earlier. It's called How to Develop a, a Powerful Prayer Life. These are free, and we'll get, we have enough for everybody. And you might want to just use this as, a, as a, your time during the month of October uh, to spend in fasting and in prayer. And so with that, I'm pretty much done, but I, I guess I'll just ask, does anybody have any questions or thoughts or concerns or ideas? All right. Well, then, um, actually... Retroactive back to October 1st, October fast is commencing and um, we expect God to do great things. We not only expect God to reveal our own hearts and our own weaknesses, but we expect to see God bring light to this church and we expect God to uh, allow us to be involved in his work of ministry, whether it be feeding the homeless and feeding the hungry or whether it be setting the captives free or proclaiming the gospel to those who need it. But we will expect to see God do great things as we move forward. And so, uh, and I believe also we will expect God to bring great unity and love um, to the people of the church on Randall Place. So with that, let's pray.